Thank you, Caleb, and praise team. You know, we've been on a wonderful journey, one that I've just really enjoyed to use as an opportunity to encourage you <clears throat> about things that we need to know that we know that we know. You know, without exception, even the most mature believer among us is going to have times that the old demon of doubt comes and pecking at your noggin like an old woodpecker and, and trying to put in reasons to doubt, reasons to be ashamed, whatever the case may be. And so it's important for us to learn as a family, learn as a church family, how to encourage one another and specifically to underline those truths that will not ever, ever change. And so we started this whole series with that first truth, and that is that God loves you, and there is nothing that can happen to change that. Uh, you didn't do anything to earn his love, so you can't do anything to lose his love. You receive that love, and then you are totally transformed by it. And out of that, we've looked at a lot of different things to encourage one another. Today, <clears throat> I want to share with you something that's meant an awful lot to me. It's helped me in my earlier life. It's helped me even as I've progressed. And even as Valeria and I were making our decision to come here and serve you as a transitional pastor. It's this. What is God's will for my life? What is God's will for my life? I was asked one time, there was a, uh, an interview, uh, Pastor, what is the most often asked question that you've had, the one that you've you found yourself having to answer so many times. And I was shooting from the hip, but I think I got it right. And that says, Pastor, how can I know what God's will is for my life? And many times what they really mean by that is, is, is I've got this big decision to make. I, I've got to decide, you know, am I going to marry this person or not? Or am I going to receive this uh, job opportunity? Am I going to go to this college or, or accept that committee appointment, whatever it may be? And I want to know what God's will is for my life. And you know, that's, that's very, very valid. That's a great, great, great question. And it's, it's, it's been my joy to be able to lead people how to hear the voice of God and to know what God is telling them to do. But to know this, there's a few preliminary steps that you really need to take. And so what I want to do today, and then my next time here with you, is to share with you some of those fundamentals that, that will give you a very clear understanding of what God's will is right out of the Bible. And then, if you're doing those things, Holy Spirit can fine-tune these others to give you those specifics. But when you ask that question, God, what is your will for my life? Or, Pastor, how can I know what God's will is for my life? There's a question I need to ask about your question. You know, Jesus would often do that. Somebody would ask him a question, and he'd answer with a question. Well, I, I do that as well, and, and here's why. When, when somebody says, I want to know what God's will is for my life, then what I will ask him is this, why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? And that's an important question. And let me tell you, you, you need to grasp this. Some people want to know what God's will is just simply because of idle curiosity. You know, they want to check in with that, like they check in on their email or check in on their text or check in on the weather. And it's just a casual, they have no desire to do anything with it, they just want to know. And there are others that are a little further down the line, they say, I want to know what God's will is for my life. And I'm interested in entertaining that as a possibility, but I reserve the right to overrule it if it's something that I'm not comfortable with or I don't want to go there or whatever the case may be. Listen very carefully. God is not in the habit 
of revealing his perfect and precious will for your life if you're not interested in doing anything about it. So if you're not serious about the question, then you just go ahead and take a nap during the rest of this service, okay? But if you really want to know, God, do you really, really have a very precise desire, a plan, a blueprint, a purpose for my life? I'd really like to know that because I've done my own wandering and done my own thing and such as that, but I'd really like to know what you want because I'm learning in these days uh, here in church that surrendering to you and to your will is where I get my real freedom from. I get my real joy from this. And so, yes, Lord, I, I want to know what it is. If that's your attitude, then let me tell you another principle that you need to grasp and hold on to. God wants you to know his will. God wants you to know his will. And, and here's something I want you to grasp. God is not in the habit of playing hide-and-seek with his will for your life. That, that's, that's, that's not the way he works. He's not sitting up there in the throne of heaven somewhere watching you down here, and you're saying, well, you're getting closer, you're getting warmer, getting warmer. No, 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 cold, 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 cold. That's a game we play as children. That's not God's way. God wants you to know what his will is. He wants to make it abundantly clear to you because he knows that happiness and fulfillment and purpose and joy are going to be found as you embrace his will for your life and walk steadfastly in that. He wants you to know it. It's not a hide-and-seek game. It's not a reward for good behavior. This is God's desire for you. God wants you to know it. And you can know it, and you can also do it. So how do I do this, Brother Fred? How do I start? Well, let me tell you a good place to start. A good place to start is at the beginning. Okay? I, I, I feel like I'm in the sound of music right here. You know, a good place to start is the beginning. But the beginning is a good place to start. And where is the beginning? The beginning is in the Word of God. Did you know that God has revealed to you explicitly, personally, some major aspects of his will for your life right here in your Bible. And they're not very well hidden, okay? They're rather glaring. And we're going to look at, at six of these, three today and three the next time I share with you. Things that God wants you to know, this is my will for your life. And now here's the last principle I want you to grasp, and then we're going to start with what the first one is. If you're busy obeying... God's will that you know, then you're in the best position for him to share with you his will that you don't know. Let me go over that again. I want you to grasp this thought. If you're busy doing the will of God that he's already revealed to you, then you're in the best possible position for him to reveal more and more clearly what that will is for you. And so this is progressive. This, this is stones building one on top of the other. And so as you progress through doing what God's clear will is as explained in his word, then you're in the best possible place to receive those fine tunings and those questions that you want to know about the who to marry or which college to go to or whether or not I need to leave this job and go to the other, whatever. All that comes from first being in a place where you're doing the will of God that he's already made clear to you. 
So that's what we're going to share today. So you, you hang on real tight, and we're going to enjoy this time together. Turn in your Bible, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. I believe the Bible is God's holy, anointed, inerrant, absolute word for us. And it, it, it directs our belief, and it directs our behavior. And it's not just something that's cerebral, it's something that we do. We, we do the Word of God. and We're studying that more and more on, on Wednesday nights. So here's where God's will for your life begins. Ready? God's will for your life, first and foremost, is that you are saved. Write that down. That you're saved. That you have confessed your sins to God, you've repented of your sins, you've accepted Him into your life as your Savior and your Lord. That's where God's will begins in your life. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He said, this is my will. My will is for all mankind to come to a knowledge of the truth, to come to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That's God's will. Now, you want to see it, that's a positive, you want to see it in a negative? Go to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, let me read this over you. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some people count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, now listen, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now is that clear? I mean, is that fuzzy to anybody whatsoever? God's will starts here. God's will starts with you coming into a relationship, a love relationship, a saved relationship with Him. That's where His will begins. Now, don't try to get this out of order. Don't just try to say, well, you know, if I, if I could just find out, well, you know, whether or not I should pursue this course in college or pursue this uh, career, then that, no, 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 you're getting out of line. You can't hear His voice about that if you're stopping up your ears and refusing to hear the voice when He tells you, my first and foremost desire is for you to be saved. Don't, don't, don't try to short-circuit this. If you're frustrated, it's probably because you've not been doing the will of God that He's made abundantly clear to you. Now listen, if you are saved, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, God is your Father. And as your Father, His desire is for you to know His will. His desire is for you to know His heart. His desire is for Him to reveal Himself to you. That's what He wants to do. But it flows out of your love relationship with Him. And listen to me very carefully. As a child of God, this is your right, this is your privilege to approach God and ask Him such very personal questions. God, you know my life. You know all these things. I need to know about this thing. I need to know about this decision. I need to know about what. I need to know your will on this. That's your right and privilege as a child of God. Now listen, if you're not a believer in Christ, if you've never surrendered your heart and life to Him, this is where God's will begins. And hear me, that's all you're going to hear from God. That's all you're going to hear from Him. Because until you do this, you're saying, you don't matter, God. So you've got to start at the beginning. You've got to begin at the beginning. 
And the beginning is coming to a saving relationship to Jesus Christ. If you've not done that, I'm going to share with you how that works a little later this morning. Because God's will and my will is for you to embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. And to understand that once you've done that, you are in his family. And being in his family, you have the right and you have the privilege to come to God and say, God, I want to know your will. Not just idly curiosity, but I want to know your perfect plan for my life. I want to be in the sweet spot of what you've got for me. Because I, I, I've been told and I've read and I believe that there are blessings abundant for the man or woman that is walking in the center of your will. And I want that for my life. And he says, I do too, son. I do too, my daughter. I want that for you too. So that's his first place we want to stop. We want to start right here. That's number one. So write that down in your notes. That's God's number one will. This is where it starts. Number two, turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17. 517. God wants you to be saved. And listen, God wants you to be filled with his spirit. God wants you to be filled with his spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means. Because it's imperative that we grasp that. Your spiritual life does not consist with just initially surrendering to God as your Lord and Savior. I mean, that's ludicrous. It's like saying, I am going on a trip of a thousand miles and I'm walking. Here's my first step. Now, let me tell you all about my trip. You say, that's foolish, Brother Fred. Yes, but if, if you think all salvation means all the spiritual life for you is just accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's the first step. It's a huge step. It's a, and you can't take the second step till you've taken the first step. God wants you to take that step. But that's not the end of the journey. That's not the end of the journey. There's so much more he wants you to know. And the second thing where he makes his will clear is here in Ephesians chapter 5. And let's look at verse 17. It says, therefore, do not be unwise. Underline that word unwise for a moment. It, it means he wants, doesn't want you to be ignorant. He doesn't want you to be uninformed. He doesn't want you to be unknowledgeable. He doesn't want you to be stupid. I mean, that's really the sense of that word right there. I, I don't want you to be uninformed. I want you to understand. Please hear. That's God's heart. I want you to understand. I want you to understand what the will of the Lord is. You see it right there in black and white? God said, I, I don't want you to be stupid about this. I don't want you to be ignorant about this. I want you to know what my will is. And it's, it's right here in black and white. Let me make it abundantly clear. So, so do you hear the heart of God here through the pen of Paul? I want you to know my will, and I want to reveal it to you. So, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. God wants you to be saved, but then he wants you to be Spirit-filled. And he compares that with drunkenness. Why? What's the deal about drink, uh, drunkenness here? This is, is, is a good illustration. I can't, I can't come up with a better illustration than this. When you've had too much to drink or someone has had too much to drink, the cop call, calls up, pulls you off the side of the road because you're driving. And what is it that you're, you're accused of? You've been driving under the influence of alcohol. Right? You're familiar with that phrase? Under the influence of alcohol. <clears throat> that means 
alcohol has impaired your judgment, has impaired your reflexes, to where it's against the law to drive in that state because you are under that influence. I lived for some time with an uncle and an aunt and, and, and a family when we were going through a difficult time in our life. And my uncle, in, in, the, in the words of, of, of the Deep South, he was bad to drink. <laughs> and not just bad to drink, you know, he liked the homemade stuff. And uh, the, the, the stump, that stump water came out of was bad poison. I want you to know that. And it made him mean. I mean mean. And he would come home uh, in the evening, and he would be wanting to fight. And me and my two cousins, we often had to have tied to wrestling to the bed and wear him out until he'd fall asleep and carry him and put him in the bed. But my aunt, Aunt Desi, would often say, boys, that's the liquor speaking. That's the liquor speaking. And what she was saying was, he's out of his mind. That the alcohol has possessed him, has controlled him, has permeated every cell in his brain, and it's the liquor speaking. What's he saying? He's under the influence. He's being controlled by this foreign substance in his body. Paul, is, Paul knew what drunkenness was. People got drunk in Paul's day. He had to get on him over in 1 Corinthians about that. So he understands how drunkenness works. So he says, look, in the same way that when somebody's drunk, they're under the influence, their life and brain has been permeated by the alcohol. I want you to be under total control, permeated with the Holy Spirit of God. I want, want him to have the same control and the same direction and the same empowerment in your life that alcohol does in the alcoholic. Now, he said, I want you to be filled with Holy Spirit. Plerao is that word in the Greek. And, and there, there are three picture words, uh, 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 illustrations of what that means that are given in the Scriptures. In one place, plerao is used to mean to fill up a sail for a boat and drive it along in the water. So he's saying, Holy Spirit, I want him to be the one to fill the sail in your life. And he's the one to empower you. And he's the one to give you direction and impetus. As the wind would fill a sail, he said, I want Holy Spirit to fill your life. Now, I'm not much of boating. I've never done any, any sailing or whatever. I'm absolutely, I'm less than a newbie on this. But as I've watched some of these incredible races... <clears throat> The wind filling those sails or driving those boats at such enormous speeds. And, and sometimes they're just on their very edge trying to stay uh, you know, afloat in, in the water because that wind is powerful. And it's driving them. That's, that's the picture. Holy Spirit wants to drive your life. He wants to so empower you that you find yourself moved along by His Spirit. That's, that's, that's what the word plerao means. There's another way that it's used. <clears throat> and it's used about permeating. Permeating. Uh, my wife's a wonderful cook. I think you can tell. My wife's a wonderful cook. And she puts all kinds of spices and everything in. Because I like spicy food. But she'll take salt. And she knows how much to put in there. The salt then, just sprinkle it on the top of whatever it is. Rubbing it on the meat, whatever. It permeates everything 
You, you cook it a little bit, let it, let it boil just a little bit or, or whatever. It, it permeates, that flavor permeates everything. It goes all through the meat or all through the soup or all through the casserole or whatever it is. Because the salt has that ability to permeate every aspect of the food that you're preparing. So the word plerao means Holy Spirit wants to permeate your life. Every cell in your brain, everything about your life to where it's all about Him. Salt has, adds flavor. And that's why Jesus said we're to be the salt of the earth. You and I are to be so permeated with the Holy Spirit that when somebody walks up beside us, they say, you, you taste like Jesus. You taste just like Jesus. Because Holy Spirit wants to permeate every aspect of our lives. The third way that this word, word plerao is used in the Greek, and it's the main way, and it's the way it's used here, has to do with control. Has to do with control. That God wants Holy Spirit to be in control of our lives. So put these three together. He's saying, here's my will for you. I want you to be empowered by, permeated with, and under the control of Holy Spirit. That, that's his will. But I want to show you something that's kind of hidden in between one language and another right here. When he says, be filled with the Spirit... Do you realize that that means that's something that you and I can't do? I can't fill myself with Holy Spirit. I can fill myself with lust. I can fill myself with greed. I can fill myself with pride. I can fill myself with a lot of stuff. But I cannot fill myself with Holy Spirit. And this is in what's known as the passive voice. All of you English teachers, you'll be proud of me that I know that word. This is in the passive voice. And that means it's not something I can do to myself. But Holy Spirit does this. Holy Spirit is the one who comes and fills. I, I, can't, I can't fill myself with Holy Spirit. Well, then, if I can't do the filling, what is it I'm supposed to do? Well, think about the boat again. The boat again sitting out here in the water. They raise the sails. And when the wind comes, whoosh, it's driven right along. What happens if the wind's not blowing? It don't go anywhere, does it? No. In the old days when the ships sailed the, the oceans uh, with, driven only by the wind, when they were becalmed, have you ever heard that phrase, becalmed? That means there, there was no wind. The boat just sat there. Didn't go anywhere. And let me tell you, if Holy Spirit's not moving in your life, the best thing you can do is sit still. But what is the role of the boat? The boat is passive. The sails are passive. They're there and yielded to where when the wind comes, whoosh, They'll fill and billow, and it'll go. So what is my role in yours when it comes to be filled with the Spirit? We're to be yielded to Him. We're to be submitted to Him. We're to say, God, I want you to control my life, to permeate all of my thoughts, to be the, the, the power behind everything that I say and do. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to be what you want me to be. I'm totally yielded to you. So what's God's will for your life? Well, it starts with you being saved. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Is He your Lord and Savior? And then the, the next God's will for your life, plain and simple and black and white there in your Bible, is He wants Holy Spirit to fill you, to, to, to empower you, to permeate you, to control you. Where do we go from here? Well, we go further still. Go to 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 1, 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. God's will is for you to be saved. God's will is for you to be spirit-filled. And here, it says God's will for you is to be sanctified. That's a big word. We're going to break it down. Don't worry about that. Let's look what it says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. For this is the will of God. I mean, I want to hear trumpets. Dun, 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 dun. You know, it's, I mean, it's blaring. It's big. It's on the big screen. You know, just in case you're about to miss it. <laughs> I mean, God, uh, Paul, can you be a little more subtle? No. Glaring in your face. You want to know what God's will is? Bam! There it is. Here it is right here. Can you handle that? Okay. <laughs> is there any question in interpreting what that means? He's very clear, very upfront. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Your sanctification. That's a big word. It comes from the word, same root uh, of, of holy, to be, to be holy. And literally what it means is to be set apart. To, to be set apart from something and be set apart to something. Okay? To be set apart means there's two parts. There's something you're set apart from and something that you're set to. So we're to be set apart from sin. Set apart from being just like we were before we were saved. We're to be set apart from that. And we're to be set aside to the good pleasure of God. Now I want to take those in those two parts, okay? First of all, to be set apart as distinctively different from the world around about us. This is something that... that I've seen in my generation that has deeply, deeply burdened my heart. When I was a young man, when I was in my early decades as a, as a Christian, Christians prided themselves in being distinctively different from the world around them. We sought to be different in our conversation. We sought to be different in our choice of words. We sought to be different in our actions. We sought to be different in our behavior. We sought to be different in what we put into our bodies, how we used our bodies, how we honored our bodies. We wanted to be distinctively different because we'd be set out as distinctively different from the crowd that we were in. And we felt we had biblical precedent for that because Jesus said, I want you to be light in the darkness. Okay, if we turn off all the lights in this room and seal all the sources of light whatsoever, and it's dark 30 in here, okay, and I light a match, every set of eyes is going to come to that light. And, and you're drawn to it. And that light pierces the darkness. I took a group of teenagers to Mammoth Cave, and we made that long, long, long hike down there, and I don't know how far we were below the surface, and the guide was down there with us. And so we got to this one place, and he said, now sit down on these little rocks. We all sat down. He said, now, I'm going to turn off the lights. My heart went up in my throat right about then. Okay? <laughs> he said, I'm going to turn off the lights. And so he turned off the lights, and your eyes literally start bugging out of your head. Because you're, you're grasping, you're literally visually grasping for any source of light there whatsoever. And, and there's none. And then after, after a few moments, he says, now, I'm going to light a match. 
And there was no more welcome sight you can imagine <laughs> than that little glow of a match. Every eye was on it, every hope was in it, and I was hoping he still had his other hand on the switch. Okay. Light permeates the darkness. The darkness cannot stand up against light. That's a physics problem you can work out in a lab. Dark cannot be so dense that the slightest bit of light will not permeate it. So God told us to be as distinctively different in our lifestyle as light is from darkness. And in the same passage, he says you're to be the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth because we bring healing and we bring flavor and we bring Everything that salt can bring, salt's an amazing stuff. As a matter of fact, it was given instead of money at one time. Before money was circulated so much, it was given as a payment for a day's work. And that's where the phrase came from that somebody's worth their salt. That means it's worth what they had been paid because they were paid for in salt. It was, it was very valuable. And so Jesus is saying, you're valuable to me and you're valuable to this world because you're distinctively different. What burdens my heart is in the last decades, Christians have been bewildered into thinking we need to be camouflaged to look just like the world. And if we look just like the world around us, then, then we'll, we'll have opportunity to win their friendships and to win their trust or whatever. And then we can tell them all about Jesus. How's that working for you? I can tell by looking at you. That doesn't work. That doesn't work. God didn't put us here to camouflage in with all of the non-believers in the world. He put us here to be distinctively different. Not abrasively different. I mean, you don't have to be abrasive in your light or abrasive in your saltiness, but you do have to be distinctively different. To where this world looks and sees you and says, how is it you're handling life and I'm going crazy over here? How is it that life is making sense for you and you have a sense of joy and peace with all the stuff that's going on? And it's that distinctive difference that draws them to you. And then they ask, what's different in your life? And you say, it's Christ. It's Jesus in my heart. That's the difference. So God calls us to be saved, for him to be our Lord and our Savior. He calls us to be spirit-filled, to where his Holy Spirit controls us, permeates us, moves us. But then he calls us to understand that we're set apart from sin, but then we're set apart to him. We're set apart to him. The Bible says, do you not know that your body is not your own. You have been purchased with a price, the blood of Jesus Christ, and your body is not your own. It belongs to the Lord. And so how we deal with our body, what we do with our body, what we put in with our into our bodies, this either brings honor or dishonor to God. And so if God says, I want you to be set apart from my good pleasure, set apart as my very own dear child, that means he has a purpose for you. But it also means you, you realize that you're special to God. And there's a sense in which he owns you. 
So I have to live my life set apart for his good pleasure. One of the things I miss about grandmother being gone and being with the Lord for so many years is when we would go for Christmas at her house, there were some things she would always have. I've told some of you this, but one of the things she always did, she loved to serve fruit cocktail. Uh, she'd have fruit cocktail in a little bowl at every one of our meals. Every one of us had a little bowl of, of fruit cocktail. And I'd look in mine and be sure that was it. what I wanted was in there. You know, if not, I'd switch it out with somebody else. So, you know, at the end of my meal, I'd go there and I'd eat the apples and I'd eat the grapes and I'd eat the pineapple and such. But there's one thing that I would be saving to the very last. What was it? The cherries. The cherries. That was special to me. So what did I do? I set it apart for my pleasure at the very last thing that I would eat would be that cherry. And it was always so good. And I set it apart for that because it brought me such pleasure. Listen to me. God wants you to understand his will for your life is that you are set apart for his unique pleasure. That, that he, he draws pleasure from you being yielded, saved, from you being yielded to Holy Spirit. He draws pleasure from this. And when you're set apart for his good pleasure, he's got a specific use for you, a specific plan for you. And it's great. It's phenomenal. And he wants to reveal that to you. It's not hide and seek. He wants to reveal that to you. How is he going to reveal that to you? Remember the principle we talked about earlier? If you're busy doing the will of God that he has revealed to you, then you're in an excellent place to receive the fine-tuning of what else his will is for you. And so here's where we are so far. We've got three of the six that we want to pay attention to. Are you saved? Have you surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ? If not, we're going to talk about how to do that in a few moments. If you indeed are a believer in Christ, are you yielded to Holy Spirit to fill your life? Is He the power and the driving force behind you? Does He permeate your mind and your, your decisions and your will and your value system? And then, do you understand that you're set apart for God's unique pleasure? That you belong to Him? Your assignment this week is to go do these three things that are clearly right out of the Word of God, God's will for your life. And you're going to be in a great position to pick up these next three things. And I'll tell you the last one goes, wow! And the light bulb's going to come on. And you're going to be glad you didn't miss that one. But until then, let's be obedient to the Word of God we know. Will you join me in prayer right now? Holy Spirit, I do want to thank you for being so incredibly present with us here today. Because you have permeated this atmosphere in our worship and now in the reading and the exposition of your word. And this is your word. You are the spirit of truth. And so we ask you as the spirit of truth to interpret truth to our lives. Holy Spirit, I ask you to speak to any person here today or watching by means of media that's never opened their heart to you, Lord Jesus. That's never asked you 
to come into their lives. And Holy Spirit, will you encourage them now to pray along with me and just say, Dear God, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I've been doing life my own way. But right now, I dare to believe that when you died on the cross, it was to take my sins upon yourself. And when you rose again, it was so that I could have your life. So I want you to come into my life, Lord. I want you to forgive me and cleanse me. I want you to permeate my life with your spirit. I want to follow you. I want to be a Christ follower. I want to take the first step and be saved. Holy Spirit, anyone, that's the desire of their heart. I pray in the next few moments that they'll, they'll come and see me or go to the Connection Center and see one of our staff. And let us just rejoice with the first step that they've taken into the wonderful journey of faith. Lord, there are many here today that they, they're genuinely saved. But they never thought in terms of yielding their lives to you, Holy Spirit. To be the wind that moves them, the, the salt that permeates every part of their lives. And to be the controller. So Lord, do we want to yield ourselves to your control today. And we want to understand that it's your will that we be separate. We're different from those in this world. And, and not in an abrasive, ugly kind of way, but in a winsome, enticing way. We want to be so set apart to you, Lord, that we understand that we're special and you've reserved us for your good pleasure. And we want to be doing these things. So you can then, we can be in a place to where you can then reveal even more fine-tuning what your will is for our lives. God, we love you. And we ask that love to grow every day in our hearts. Let it be so. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.